0: If you live in California, you're more likely to see an electric car on the road all year round, even in the winter. But that's not so typical in states like Minnesota, where winter temperatures get below freezing. And when it gets that cold, you can't rely on your electric vehicle taking you too far before it runs out of juice. And that all comes down to the batteries. As temperatures drop, the chemical reactions inside the batteries slow down, making them less reliable in the cold. But now, a team of engineers at the University of California, San Diego, have developed cool new chemistry that makes batteries work even better at ultra-low temperatures. The work was published online by the journal Science on June 15. The research was conducted in the Laboratory for Energy Storage and Conversion, led by nanoengineering professor Shirley Meng, who also directs the Sustainable Power and Energy Center at UC San Diego. This is the UC San Diego Jacobs School of Engineering podcast. I'm Lizelle Labios. Joining me today is Cyrus Rustamji, a postdoctoral researcher at the Department of Nanoengineering at UC San Diego and the first author of the science paper. Cyrus, thank you for joining us today.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: Tell us about this cool discovery.
1: Well, actually, if I could uh, please rephrase that question, too. Well, what's the really cold discovery that you made? Well, our team has created a battery that works exceptionally well at really cold temperatures. Um, Many of us have experienced trouble, like, starting our car in the morning. Uh, That's because the conventional batteries just simply don't really work well uh, in cold temperatures. For instance, most lithium-ion batteries don't really work very well at minus 20 degrees Celsius or about zero degrees Fahrenheit. Um, But our discovery enables batteries to work down to about minus 60 degrees Celsius. And electrochemical capacitors, which are a type of battery, they work pretty well down to minus 80 degrees Celsius with our new chemistry.
0: That's pretty cold. So who would ever need batteries to work at such cold temperatures like that?
1: Well, those are pretty cold temperatures, um, but you can think about some of the coldest places that NASA wants to explore, um, such as Mars, Jupiter, or Saturn. Uh, those planets are really cold. Um, normal batteries simply will not work at the surface of these uh, worlds. Um, and so generally, additional equipment is used to warm the batteries when they send these uh, craft over there to explore. Uh, these additional equipment you know, simply adds cost and weight and volume to the, uh, the spacecraft and it makes it more difficult for the engineers to plan for these missions. But now we have these batteries that can operate in these extremely cold environments without adding expensive heaters to the, these spacecraft. It would be great to see NASA adopt their technology into their future interplanetary missions one day.
0: So other than using these batteries for space exploration, how could this work benefit people here on Earth?
1: Well, luckily, uh, Earth doesn't get that cold. But, um, you know, we do hope our technology can actually eventually get into your next electric vehicle. Um, you know, if you're driving around in... Boston, for instance, in the dead of winter, you're not going to get as much uh, mileage in your electric vehicle because of that low temperature aspect. But uh, we do recognize there are many great technologies out there um, for electric vehicles, and it will take some time to see if ours is a good fit. However, we do see the most immediate benefit to society from our technology and low temperature applications. Um, There is a large and unmet need for batteries to be reliable and work in a range of climates and conditions. Uh, some new applications that are popping up, which are a great fit for our batteries, and might include um, Google's Loon or Facebook's Aquila programs, which use uh, like big hot air balloon-type things or drones to provide Internet co- connectivity to um, more rural populations and remote um, areas of the globe um, that would otherwise not have connectivity to the Internet. Um, these balloons and drones, um, they generally operate in really high atmosphere, so uh, it gets pretty cold up there, um, down to like about minus 70 degrees Celsius. Uh, Normal batteries just simply won't work at these altitudes. Um, However, chemistry could enable these types of technologies and enable um, internet connectivity around the world.
0: So give us a brief overview on how batteries work for our listeners out there.
1: So conventional batteries are composed of four primary components. Um, An anode, which is the negatively charged electrode. A cathode, which is the positively charged electrode. A separator, which prevents the anode and cathode from touching. And finally, the electrolyte. Our research really focuses on the electrolyte component, which acts to carry charge from the anode to the cathode and back to the anode again. It's generally accepted actually that the electrolyte is really the bottleneck from developing next generation batteries, and for good reason. So the electrolyte has to meet multiple requirements all at the same time, such as being chemically stable, having a really high conductivity, and being compatible with all the cell components. The final requirement is that the electrolyte has to be liquid over a wide temperature range. Um, but we've actually shown through our research this isn't necessarily
0: true. And what do you mean by that?
1: Well, in general, you want a liquid electrolyte to transport charge. If it gets too cold, the electrolyte will freeze and it becomes a solid. If it gets too hot, the electrolyte will boil, and uh, neither of these situations are good for battery operation. Now, while most battery research still uses a liquid electrolyte, there are people looking towards using solid-state electrolytes, which, as the name implies, are solid at room temperature. These electrolytes have potential for being safer, but low temperature performance and manufacturability are issues. Now, for our work, we decided to do something a little crazy. Um, Generally, people use uh, liquid electrolytes or solid electrolytes, but we decided to go into the completely opposite direction and instead use gas electrolytes. And so we've uh, actually developed these novel liquefied gas electrolytes.
0: Um, Tell me more about these liquefied gas electrolytes.
1: Well, most researchers um, generally use liquid or solid-based electrolytes, but nobody's ever thought to use a gas-based electrolyte. Now, if you think about your propane tank for your barbecue, um, propane is typically a gas at room temperature and pressure, but you store in this container that, uh, under its own vapor pressure, actually becomes a liquid. And that's kind of the same thought that we're using here. We're, we've explored a range of different gases, and under their own vapor pressure, they can actually be stored as a liquid. Um, Now we've researched a number of chemistries that may be used as liquefied gas electrolytes and we've found actually that a few of them work incredibly well for both lithium batteries and electrochemical capacitors.
0: So you mentioned working with these gases under some kind of pressure. What kind of pressures are we dealing with here? Do we have to worry about any safety concerns with a pressurized battery?
1: Well, the pressures are actually fairly moderate, um, luckily. Um, the highest pressure chemistry is around 500 psi at room temperature, which is about on the order of the pressure inside a common paintball CO2 cartridge. Um, we've already shown that these pressures may be safely contained inside common battery casings and things of that nature, so the pressure aspect really isn't a huge safety concern.
0: It's cool. So we don't have to worry about these things exploding on us from I, pressure?
1: I really hope not, no. <laughs>
0: Uh, So you mentioned most research has been focused on liquid or solid-based electrolytes in the past. So how did you come up with the idea to use gas while no one else has?
1: Well, uh, most chemists chemists researching electrochemistry love their liquid electrolytes since they're widely available and they're pretty easy to use for most studies. Um, Now I'm a trained physicist, actually, and I frequently joke I'm a terrible chemist. Um, So I mostly ignore conventional electrochemistry, and I just thought to myself one day, What would the perfect electrolyte molecule look like? I started with three basic requirements. Uh, The molecule must be polar, um, which means it can dissolve charges or dissolve salts really well. Um, The second requirement being the molecule must be small. And the third one being the molecule must have strong chemical bonds. And so, you know, I go up to my whiteboard and start drawing a bunch of molecules on there and going to Wikipedia and seeing if these things even exist and what they are. The best solutions I kept coming up with is that they're all gas molecules. Um, Now, a lot of these gases were pretty toxic or dangerous to handle, uh, but a few of the select options were perfectly safe, and uh, these are chemistries we ended up focusing on. Um, Now, actually, I've been called crazy on a number of occasions uh, for pursuing this route, and actually frequently been called crazy by rather respected researchers in the field. Um, But actually, we're uh, pretty fortunate to have come out the other end and have everything work out pretty nicely.
0: So what gases ended up working?
1: So we found that liquefied gas, difluoromethane, ended up working really well for our capacitors. And difluoromethane is actually a really common refrigerant that's used in industry today, so it's not too hard to get a hold of. But unfortunately, this didn't work very well for our batteries at all. Uh, it took a lot of work, but we finally did see that a similar liquefied gas, fluoromethane, worked really well for batteries. Uh, lucky for us, both these gases are non-toxic, and so it made the handling very easy. Uh, They range from moderate to low flammability, but, you know, that's pretty similar to any liquid electrolyte today, so not a huge problem.
0: Okay, so what can batteries and capacitors using these particular liquefied gas electrolytes achieve that today's batteries and capacitors can't?
1: Well, the most immediate obvious advantage um, to our technology is that low temperature performance, which I already explained. Uh, However, our initial work actually shows that there's really high potential for these electrolytes to enable pretty high increase in energy density of batteries as well as making them much safer.
0: Uh, So tell me more, how do you increase the energy density of these batteries?
1: Okay, well, there are many different combinations of anodes and cathode electrodes out there that one can use to make a battery. Some of these are able to store more energy, and some of them are able to store less energy. Uh, One of the biggest challenges today in battery research is to develop an electrolyte that works well with what scientists call the lithium metal anode. Uh, This is because it stores the most energy of all the possible electrodes. So It's actually considered the ultimate anode material and is often referred to as the holy grail of batteries. But the problem is that the cycle life is pretty limited on this anode with conventional electrolytes and there are what what are called dendrites that grow on the surface. Uh, These dendrites are sharp pieces of metal that can puncture through your separator and short your electrodes and then bad things happen. (laughs) What we found is actually that our liquefied gas electrolytes work surprisingly well with a lithium metal anode. We show pretty respectable cycling and with no dendrite growth. Uh, I believe there's still a lot of work to be done to improve the performance for commercial use, but I would argue our early uh, results on lithium metal are already some of the best seen in the scientific literature. It's something that researchers have been working on since probably the 70s, actually, and uh, there there have been some good successes with it, but none that have actually been fully utilized because of the... Uh, persistent issues with getting this thing to work. Um, So I believe our research really contributes um, to a big understanding of that uh, lithium metal anode.
0: So another cool thing you mentioned is that these electrolytes can improve safety in batteries. Uh, Tell us more about that.
1: Yeah, well, um, normal lithium ion batteries can often uh, overheat and catch on fire through a process known as thermal runaway. Um, now this is when the temperature gets too hot on the inside and then additional chemical reactions might occur that then release at energy and then cause it to get even hotter and hotter until it catches fire and then bad things generally happen. Um, but our electrolytes we found actually have a built-in mechanism which can turn the battery off at high temperatures and then turn it back on when the battery cools back down. Again, this will help prevent the thermal runaway reaction from actually occurring. Further, if there's ever a uh, unfortunate event when the battery is actually crushed and the electrodes are shorted, The electrolyte, being a gas, can actually quickly vent out of the cell and again prevent this thermal runaway reaction from ever occurring. Um, This isn't possible with liquid electrolytes because if the can is crushed, um, the liquid electrolyte is still going to remain in the cell. It can't can't escape. So that thermal runaway reaction can actually still occur, whereas ours actually have a... We could strongly mitigate that reaction from ever occurring.
0: That's interesting that you mentioned about it having a shutdown mechanism that can also restart once the battery cools down. Um, Can you tell me more about that?
1: Yeah. Um, Actually, so batteries today have a few um, mechanisms in there to prevent this, um, such as the separator. At a certain temperature, the separator can actually melt and shut down the reaction from occurring. Um, But, you know, melted separator, you're not going to be able to reverse that. So once the battery reaches that temperature, it's done. Um, With our electrolyte, it's actually a reversible process. So it gets too hot, it'll shut off. And if it goes back down in temperature again, it'll turn back on. So it's a novel reversible mechanism, which actually isn't common in batteries today, but it'll actually help uh, lower the cost of these kinds of incidents from occurring, so you don't have to replace an entire battery pack. You just wait for the battery pack to uh, cool back down.
0: Nice. So how did you get interested into this topic of batteries in the first place?
1: Well, actually, when I was a kid, um, batteries weren't necessarily the first thing that came to mind. Uh, When I was a kid, I actually wanted to be an astronaut. But as I grew up and the difficulty in pursuing this dream actually became more and more apparent and unlikely, I kind of turned my eyes back to our home, Earth, and uh, thought it would be nice before I leave this world for another uh, to try to help the environment through improving, um, you know, renewable energy and sustainability. Uh, Batteries are a natural and necessary component, I would argue, to that equation, um, and that they're able to store energy and potentially power the future of transportation uh, for electric vehicles and things of that nature. But, you know, who knows, my contribution through our battery research might actually end up on Mars one day um, on uh, one of these interplanetary rovers, which would be pretty cool.
0: Uh, So I can imagine that when you first started this project, there were a bunch of, you know, hiccups and bumps in the road. Can you tell us some about those initial challenges that you encountered in getting this project started and to where it is now?
1: Yeah. Uh, Well, as I said earlier, a lot of people just called us crazy for kind of doing this thing. So um, the first big challenge was actually trying to get funding for this project. Um, And, you know, it was, and it is still a very unconventional approach to um, improving batteries. But the uh, Department of Energy's Advanced uh, Research Project Agency in Energy, or uh, better known as ARPA-E, they actually invest in these types of high-risk, high-reward ideas, and they found our idea interesting enough to fund. Um, And I have to say, this really enabled our work to be advanced to where it is now, and there's little chance we would be here now without uh, the help from ARPA-E.
0: And so how hard was it initially to get these liquefied gas electrolytes to even work in a battery or capacitor?
1: Pretty hard. (laughs) Um, It was a pretty difficult uh, project to get get up and running for myself. Um, You can imagine that adding a liquid electrolyte into a battery might be pretty straightforward enough. You just get a little beaker of liquid and you pour it in your battery. (laughs) Done. Um, But a gas, it's a little difficult to get a gas in your battery. Um, We had to actually develop an entirely new set of tools to do this which actually took a long time to do, and it's uh, actually still a process we're constantly improving. Um, But you know, that's part of the fun in science. Um, You're trying new things for the first time and seeing where it takes you.
0: With these liquefied gas electrolytes, what are they gonna make batteries look like in the future? Are they gonna be completely different than what they are today?
1: So uh, the batteries would uh, look pretty similar, actually. A lot of the common battery components and manufacturing processes will be pretty much the same, which will hopefully help accelerate adoption of our new technology. Uh, this is in contrast with a lot of new battery technologies um, coming out today which actually do require a lot of change in the materials or manufacturing processes, so hopefully you know, ours will uh, be more accepted into the community. The one significant change, however, will uh, of course be the mechanical housing for the cell because of the pressurized electrolyte, but we've already done some work on this and we found that we can actually fit everything we need into the same size battery that's available today without actually sacrificing too much in terms of volume or weight.
0: You don't really need to redesign today's batteries to use these electrolytes, is what you're saying?
1: Yeah, so we're actually taking the guts of what battery manufacturers are using today, adding our electrolyte, and then putting it into a a slightly modified container, and then that battery, it actually
0: works really well. So what improvements still have to be made before these types of batteries or capacitors are ready, you know, for commercial use?
1: So we'd actually like to really improve the energy density of our devices. Um, to meet the requirements of a lot of different applications. For instance, next-generation electric vehicles, um, they require a pretty significant increase in energy, uh, which a lot of battery manufacturers are trying to reach. Um, so we're kind of in a race to get to that uh, higher energy density. But in addition to that, we um, still need to improve the uh, cycle life of our devices, and we'd also like to improve the uh, temperature performance, the low temperature performance of our devices to really uh, make them a standout technology in these uh, niche uh, markets with um, you know high-cost high performance kind of requirements, things of that nature.
0: So how low do you want to go in terms of temperature?
1: Um, (laughs) So right now our devices work to about minus 60 for batteries and minus 80 degrees Celsius for capacitors. That's plenty good for any terrestrial application that you can actually think of. But there are uh, applications for NASA which require um, these batteries to work actually down to minus 100 or even as low as minus 140 degrees Celsius for a lot of... um, what they call Ocean Worlds programs, which are exploring the oceans of Jupiter's moons, such as Titan, which we uh, need to go to really low temperatures for.
0: So this new battery chemistry can potentially take your batteries even lower to those temperatures?
1: Well, we're hoping, yeah. Um, We already have kind of in the pipe um, modified chemistries, but still using the same concept of uh, liquefied gas electrolytes. So we're exploring different types of liquefied gas electrolytes that can actually enable these exceptionally low temperatures.
0: That is pretty far out. All right, so moving forward, what's next?
1: Well, I believe our work will really be a breakthrough in a chemistry for many battery technologies. We also have a really amazing team together here at UC San Diego, and we've uh, decided to actually spin this technology out into a startup company um, called South 8 Technologies. We really hope to bring this technology to market for all of these great applications, um, both here on Earth and as far as uh, Mars and Jupiter. Um, we're still pretty early stage, but we're definitely getting a lot of interest from the community.
0: All right. Well, thank you for joining me here today and telling us more about your work.
1: Thank you. I really appreciate your time.
0: And that was Cyrus Rastamji, one of the lead researchers on this new cold battery project, which was published online by the journal Science on June 15. Join us next time to hear more engineering news from the Jacobs School. Want to share your story, research, or event? Tweet us at UCSDJacobs. You can also find us on Facebook and be sure to check out our news page at jacobschool.ucsd.edu slash news. Again, that's jacobschool.ucsd.edu slash news. I'm Lizelle Labios. Thanks for listening.